Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you A Study in Scarlet, which is the first Sherlock Holmes book written by Sir author Conan Doyle, where Dr. John H. Watson meets the great detective Sherlock Holmes, and together they solve a murder in which Watson is amazed at Holmes' science of deduction. This will be a two-part series, so sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening. dead in an empty house, his face and limbs hideously contorted. The floor and walls of the room are spattered with blood. There are no wounds on his body. The scarlet thread of murder runs through the colorless skein of life, and our duty is to unravel it and isolate it and expose every inch of it. A Study in Scarlet by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle Dramatised in two parts by Bert Cools with Clive Merrison as Sherlock Holmes and Michael Williams as Dr John Watson A Study in Scarlet Part 2 The Country of the Saints After much fruitless racking of my brain I had finally discovered that my new fellow lodger, Sherlock Holmes a man of singular talents, enthusiasms and areas of ignorance, was in fact what he termed a consulting detective. I have it in me, he told me modestly, to make my name famous. All he lacked was the proper opportunity. I was convinced, though Holmes was not, that this opportunity had at last arrived with the invitation by no less a personage than Inspector Tobias Gregson of Scotland Yard to investigate the bizarre murder of one Enoch J. Drebber. On the day following the killing, the papers were full of the Brixton mystery. (laughs) Listen to this one. Hmm? The German name of the murdered man, the absence of all other motive, and the sinister inscription, Raka, revenge, written upon the wall, all point to political refugees and revolutionists, (laughs) the socialists of many branches in America. (laughs) Don't tell me. The Daily Telegraph. Very good, Watson. (laughs) The piece also mentions the Weingericht, Aquatofana, the Carbonari, the Marchioness de Bronvilliers, the Darwinian theory, the principles of Malthus, and the Radcliffe Highway murders. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What what do you have? Uh, The standard. Lawless outrages of this sort usually occur under a liberal government. (laughs) They arise from the unsettling of the minds of the masses and the consequent weakening of all authority. Very true. Oh, and some new facts. Oh, good heavens. The deceased was an American gentleman. Oh, that's hardly new. Even the strayed and Gregson discovered that. <laughs> Who had been residing at the boarding house of Madame Charpentier in Camberwell with his private secretary, Mr Joseph Stangerson. So, the mysterious Stangerson has been identified. Uh, someone's been busy. Probably Gregson. <laughs> ah, mm. 
We are glad to learn that Mr Gregson and Mr Lestrade of Scotland Yard are both engaged on the case. It is confidently anticipated that these two well-known officers will speedily throw light on the matter. <laughs> Which one's that? Yeah, daily news. I told you that whatever happened, those two would be certain to score. Nah, that depends on how it turns out. Oh, bless you. It doesn't matter in the least. If the man is caught, it'll be on account of their exertions. If he escapes, it'll be in spite of their exertions. A fool can always find a bigger fool to admire him, <laughs> as the old French poet said. <laughs> hmm. Holmes? Hmm, my dear fellow? You seem highly delighted by the telegram this morning. What was in it? Oh, there. The name of the murderer. Should we order some more toast? Mrs. Hudson, have you added mind reading to your many other accomplishments? Mr. Holmes, I really must protest. What do you think you're doing inviting me? Mr. Holmes! Mr. Holmes, in all my years I have never witnessed such a display. Silence in the ranks. Mrs. Hudson, may I present the Baker Street Division of the Detective Police Force? In future, you must wait in the street. Wiggins, you can come up alone to report. Yes, sir. <laughs> was there anything else, Mrs Hudson? There was not. <laughs> right. Have you found it yet? No, sir, we ain't. Well, you must keep on until you do. Here are your wages. Go, go, and bring back a better report next time. Yes, sir. All right, you lot. Come on. Hold it. Put them back, Vicky. I ain't got nothing. Vicky? That's better. So long, gents. Ah, there's more work to be got out of those little beggars than out of a dozen of the regular force. <laughs> they can go everywhere and hear everything. All they want is organisation. You're <laughs> employing them on this Brixton case? Yes, there's something I want to track down. It's only a matter of time. Do you really know the name of the murderer? Oh, hello. We're going to hear some news now with a vengeance. Here's Gregson coming down the road with beatitude written upon every feature of his face. <laughs> it's all right, Mrs Hudson. The gentleman's expected. My dear Holmes, congratulate me. I've made the whole thing as clear as day. Uh, yeah, oh, uh, Doctor. Good morning. Do you mean that you're on the right track? The right track? Why, sir, I have the man under lock and key. And his name? Arthur Charpentier. Oh. Uh, take a seat, Gregson. Oh, uh, you know, try one of these cigars. Yes, oh. We're anxious to know how you managed it, aren't we, Watson? Well, yes. Of course we are. <laughs> <laughs> the fun of it is that that foolish trade has gone off on the wrong track altogether. <laughs> He's chasing after the secretary, Stangerson. <laughs> but he had no more to do with a cry than a babe unborn. <laughs> Lestrade's probably arrested him by now. <laughs> My dear Gregson. Oh, thank you, Mr. Holmes. <laughs> how exactly did you get your clue? Yeah, oh, well, now, I'll tell you all about it. You know, of course, gentlemen, this is strictly between ourselves. Of course. Oh, yeah. Well, the first difficulty was the tracing of this Drebber's movements prior to his murder. Now, you may not remember it, but there was a hat Lying beside the body. Yes, made by John Underwood and Sons, 129 Camberwell Road. Oh. Oh, I'd no idea you'd notice that. Have you been there? No. 
Ah, now you should never neglect a clue, however small it may seem. To a great mind, nothing is little. Exactly. Well, I went to Underwood and Sons and had them checked back in their books. Now, that hat was bought by a Mr. Drebber and was delivered. That's how I got his address. Smart, very smart. I called upon Madame Charpentier. You know that feeling, Mr. Holmes, when you come up on the right scent, a kind of thrill in your nerves? I do indeed. Yes? May I help you? I found her very pale and distressed. I began to smell a rat. Mother, who is it? The daughter also looked extremely red about the eyes. I determined to be direct with them. I am a police officer. Have you heard of the mysterious death of your late boarder, Mr. Enoch J. Drebber? Admirably direct, Gregson. Yes. Yes, we have. From the evening paper. Oh, it's quite exciting. What happened next? At what o'clock did Mr. Drebber leave your establishment yesterday? At eight o'clock. And was that the last you saw of him? Yes. No. No, it wasn't. Alice. No good can ever come of falsehood, Mother. Let us be frank with this gentleman. We did see Mr. Drebber again. God forgive you, you have murdered your brother. I persuaded Madame Charpentier to make a clean breast of the facts. Now, apparently, this Drebber was a bit of a bad lot, and he and Stangerson were ordered off the premises. The Drebber had returned roaring drunk and made obscene advances towards her daughter. This was witnessed by the son, Arthur Charpentier, who soundly trounced the American and threw him out of the house. Uh, surely, Inspector, that's exactly what one would have expected him to do. Oh, yes, 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 Doctor, of course. But then this Arthur followed Drebber out into the street to send him on his way. Now, both the mother and the daughter clearly heard the son's words. And they were? I mean it, Drebber, I'll kill you. The son didn't return to the house until the early hours of the morning. What is his version of events? Oh, some cock and bull story about just walking away and leaving Drebber lying in the gutter. Were there any witnesses? No, none we can trace. Oh, Charpentier thinks he may have heard a cab. Ah! Oh, well done, Gregson. This is vital information. You really are getting along. We shall make something of you yet. <laughs> <laughs> I flatter myself that I've managed it rather neatly. The whole case fits together uncommonly well. Did you say you've arrested Charpentier? Yes, late last evening. No doubt he'll sing a different song after spending the night as a guest of Her Majesty. Perhaps. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see that fool Lestrade's face. <laughs> <laughs> Come in, Lestrade. Yeah, what? Inspector Lestrade, gentlemen. Oh, 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 by Jove. Thank you, Mrs Hudson. Good morning, Mr. Holmes. Gentlemen. Is everything all right, Inspector? Oh, this is a most extraordinary case. A most incomprehensible affair. Oh, you think so, do you, Lestrade? Have you managed to find the secretary, Mr. Joseph Stangerson? Uh, the secretary, Mr. Joseph Stangerson, was murdered about six o'clock this morning. Stangerson murdered too? Are you sure? Extremely sure. It was I who discovered the body at Halliday's private hotel, Gower Street. Take a seat, Lestrade. Thank you. I knew that both Americans were intending to sail home from Liverpool, and I reasoned that Stangerson might still be planning to do so. That meant taking a Euston train. I and my men made inquiries at all the private hotels in the area of the station. But there must be over a hundred. Yes, but I tracked him down about seven o'clock this morning. It's very early, sir. You'll see me. Are you the gentleman he's been expecting, then? I doubt it. Which room is it? 
Uh, here we are, sir. Number 23. Right. You can go now. Oh, God! What's the matter? Have you got a pass key? Look, look, what's going on? Who are you? I'm a police officer. Stand back! Oh, my God! I'd seen something that made me feel sick, in spite of my 20 years' experience. A, a, a little red ribbon of blood was flowing out from under the door. It had meandered across the passage and formed a pool along the skirting at the other side. And inside the room? Uh, the window was open, and beside it, all huddled up, was the body of a man lying in a pool of blood. The porter identified him as Stangerson. B but the strangest part of the whole affair... What do you suppose was above the murdered man? The word Raka, written in letters of blood. Exactly as before. Yeah. Was everything the same, Lestrade? Uh, not quite. This one had been stabbed. Stabbed? A deep wound in the left side. Stabbed. Something must have gone wrong. Oh, I've arrested an innocent man. My suspect was under lock and key at the very moment the real villain was killing again. Don't reproach yourself, Gregson. Your case was basically quite sound. This time, the murderer was seen. You have a witness? Yes. A milk boy saw a man climbing down a ladder at the back of the hotel. He was so open about it that the lad took him for a workman. Did you get a description? The man was unusually tall, well-built, and had a, a reddish face, exactly as you said he would be, Mr Holmes. Yes. Did you find anything significant in the room? Nothing. Stangerson's cases were packed. They'd been sent to the yard. There were just a few items lying loose. Uh, here. One cheap novel, which was open on the bedside table. One pipe and one box of matches. They were on a chair. Mm. The only other thing was a small ointment box containing a couple of pills. Here. <sighs> the last link. My case is complete. There, there you are, old girl. <sighs> Easy. You won't have to put up with me much longer, I reckon. Ready? Well, off we go, then. Hey, Cappy! Cappy! Wait, mister! Oh, oh, girl! Oh. oh, thanks, mister. What do you want, boy? The governor in the office said your name's Hope. Jefferson Hope. Well, what if it is? There's a gent got a job for you. Good money in it, he said. Was it some kind of joke? No, honest, mister. I better not be. All right, where does he live? This gent of yours. Baker Street, 221B, Baker Street. Here's the poor creature, Doctor. You can see he's suffering. Mm. I tell the maid I'd ask you to put him out of his misery. She's down there now, sobbing her heart out. She really loves this old dog. <coughs> Don't worry, Mrs. Hudson. He won't suffer much longer. Thank you, sir. I'll go and tell the girl. Oh, easy, boy. Oh, poor old fellow. Now, look, Mr Holmes, what exactly is all this about? Why have you sent for this animal? Patience, my friend. I now have in my hands all the threads which have formed such a tangle. I am as certain of the main facts as if I had seen them with my own eyes. I will give you a proof of my knowledge. Uh, Doctor, are these ordinary pills? Here. No. No, they're not. They're unusually light and transparent. Probably soluble in water. 
I couldn't really say any more without a proper analysis. I believe we have a quicker method to hand. I shall cut one of the pills in two and put one half safely back in its box. Now, if we put a little water in this saucer, then you will perceive that the doctor is right and the half pill readily dissolves in it. Mr Holmes, this may be very interesting, but I cannot see what it has to do with this case. It has everything to do with it. I shall now add a little milk to the mixture to make it palatable. Now, on presenting it to the dog, we find that he laps it up quickly enough. Hmm. Now. Holmes? If you'll excuse us, Mr Holmes, my colleague and I have a murderer to track down. Wait! It can't be a coincidence. It's impossible that it should be a coincidence. The very pills which I suspected in the case of Drebber are actually found after the death of Stangerson, and yet they're inert. What can it mean? What can it mean? Ah! I have it! I have it! The other pill! The other pill. Cut it in two. More water. Yes. Dissolve it. Milk. Stir. Here you are, boy. Try this. Look, Watson. Look, Gregson. Lestrade. What's the matter with the animal? (laughs) Ha-ha! It's dead! It's dead! My God! (laughs) Good Lord. Poor creature. Of the two pills in the box, one was the most deadly poison and the other was entirely harmless. Oh, I ought to have known that before ever I saw the box at all. I'll have that pill box back, if you please. Uh, now, look here, Mr Holmes, we are all ready to acknowledge that you're a smart man and have your own methods of working, but we want something more than theory and preaching now. It's a question of taking the man. Gregson made his case out and he was wrong. I went after my man, Stangerson, and I was wrong too. You've thrown out hints here and hints there, but can you name the man who did it? Any delay in arresting the killer might give him time to strike again. The doctor's quite right, sir. There will be no more murders. You can put that consideration out of the question. You ask me if I know the name of the assassin. I do. Then it's your duty to... The mere knowing of his name is a small thing, however, compared with the power of laying our hands upon him. Give us the name, Mr Holmes. If this man gains the slightest suspicion that the official force is onto him, he would change his name and vanish in an instant. You would be powerless to trace him. And now look here, sir. This is not good enough. You must give us the name. No. I cannot. Yes, What is it, Mrs Hudson? Someone for you, Mr Holmes. Beg pardon, sir. Oh, really? Yes, Wiggins. I've got a cab downstairs. Oh, good boy. Here. Oh, thanks, sir. Uh, The cabman may as well help me with the boxes. Ask him to step up, Wiggins. Yeah, right away, sir. What's this about, Mr Holmes? I hope you're not planning to leave the capital. (laughs) Uh, Doctor, be so good as to fetch my handcuffs. Your handcuffs? In my writing desk, right-hand drawer. Oh, certainly. Here you are. Mr Holmes. Why don't you introduce this pattern at Scotland Yard? Look, they fasten in an instant. Uh, The old pattern's quite good enough, if we can only find the right pair of wrists to put them on. (laughs) Very good, very good. Uh, Excuse me, gentlemen, while I just strap up this portmanteau. Mr Holmes? Ah, Tabby. Ah, just give me a... Help with this buckle, would you? 
Uh, move aside, sir. Now let me do it. What? Gentlemen, let me introduce you to Mr. Jefferson Hope, the murderer of Enoch Dribber and of Joseph Stangerson. No! Stop him! Hold him still! Under his legs! I've got it! Now, Mr. Hope, I have no desire to do so. I assure you that I'm quite capable of breaking your arm if you render it necessary. You let me go. I know any odds against me. Very well. Uh, these two gentlemen are police officers, and as soon as one of them regains his breath, I'd rather fancy you're going to find yourself under arrest. Are you all right up there, Lestrade? Everything well under control. <laughs> if he ever leaves the force, he's got a second career ready and waiting. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> Are you in much pain? For no one worse. Mr. Holmes, is it? Sherlock Holmes. Well, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, if there's a vacant place for a chief of the police, I reckon you're the man for it. <laughs> it's quite enough from you, Hope. Oh, really, Gregson? <clears throat> It was the ring that gave it to me, of course. That and the wheel marks in the mud of the Brixton Road. <laughs> if that night had been dry, I never would have found your Hope. Can't we save this till we get to the yard, Mr Holmes? The marks in the road showed me that the horse had wandered on slightly between arriving and departing. That would never have happened if anyone had been in charge of it. It was clear from the footprints that only two men were ever there, so it followed that the driver of the cab was also the murderer. But how the devil did you know my name? As I said, through the ring. It was a question of motive. Despite your clumsy attempt to implicate German radicals, it was clear that the, the murderers... papers had been full of secret societies and the like. I thought it might throw you off the scent. Well, it didn't. Carry on, Mr. Holmes. Political assassins are only too glad to do their work and to fly, whereas this murder had been done most deliberately. So it was a private matter. Now, since a woman is usually involved somewhere in these affairs, the ring merely confirmed what I'd already decided. I wanted the last thing that villain saw to be Lucy's ring. The ring he forced on her finger. Keep it for the official statement, Hope. <sighs> so, Gregson, I did what you neglected to do. Hmm? I telegraphed the Cleveland police for information concerning Drebber and trouble over any woman. The answer was conclusive. He had once applied for the protection of the law against one Jefferson Hope, a rival in love. Love! <coughs> love! I wish I could have seen him die. <coughs> ten, ten times over! Uh, uh, let me doctor. examine you. Let me alone. Come on, man! Uh, I do, do what you like. Uh. We must get to Scotland Yard as quickly as we can. This man is seriously ill. How long have you known? It's been getting worse for years. Have you seen a doctor recently? Last week. What did he tell you? Now, what do you think he told me? I'm afraid he was quite correct. Oh, what do I care? I've done my work. But look, Doctor, what exactly is all this about? Mr. Hope has an aortic aneurysm. Oh. Mm, what does that mean? It means, Gregson, that he could die at any moment. Good Lord. Mm. Is that right, Doctor? Yes, quite right. It's a failure of the main blood vessel leading from the heart. It swells up and eventually bursts. 
there's no cure. I got it from overexposure and underfeeding. It's not like man's. I don't care how soon I go, but I should like to leave an account of this affair behind me. I don't want to be remembered as a common cutthroat. That's great. <clears throat> what do you think? Well, he's obviously seriously ill. If we take a statement from him now, it's quite likely to be thrown out of court as unreliable. Mm, or coerced. Mm. On the other hand... Exactly. Mm. Jefferson Hope, I am Inspector Tobias Gregson and this gentleman is Inspector Giles Lestrade. Mm. You are at liberty to make your statement to us, but I am obliged to warn you that it will be taken down and may be presented in evidence at your trial. Very well. I'm on the brink of the grave. I'm not likely to lie to you. Every word I say is the absolute truth. I have to start some 40 years ago. In the whole world, I doubt if there's a more dreadful place in the great Central American desert. It's nothing but death, desolation. But if you'd been there, gentlemen, on one particular day all those years back, you'd have seen something moving, something alive. No sense in crying now, child. It ain't gonna help. The man's name was John Ferrier. The child was called Lucy. <laughs> Baby, shh. we'll find a river by and by. By and by. John Ferrier told me once that he carried that baby three days, three nights across the plains. Both their parents were dead, along with the rest of the wagon train. And he looked after her like she was his own. But they never did find that river. Here, drink this. Slowly, just a sip. That's it. A baby. She's asleep, peaceful as you like. God be praised. Amen. Amen. Shh. Don't try to speak. You're safe now. Safe? What are you people doing in this wilderness? Who are you? We are the persecuted children of God, the chosen ones of the angel Morona. We are the people of the holy Joseph Smith and his prophet. God in heaven, you're the Mormons. We are the Mormons. Ten thousand of them there were, trekking across the desert, looking for their promised land. And they'd found John Ferrier and the babe. I suppose you'd have to call it a miracle. As soon as he was able to walk, he was taken to one particular wagon. It was bigger and finer than the rest. Welcome, John Ferrier. I have been told your story by Brother Stangerson, who found you and to whom you owe your life and that of the child. I'm grateful to him, to all of you. Are you the leader? We are led by the hand of God. Amen. Amen. Of course. If we take you with us, it can only be as believers in our own creed. We shall have no wolves in our fold. Will you come with us on these terms? I guess I'll come with you on any terms. Brother Stangerson? Prophet? Let it be your task to teach him our holy creed. Come, Brother Ferrier. You're in my care now. My wives will see to your needs. Brother Stangerson. Remember... But now and forever you are one of us. Brigham Young has said it, and he speaks with the voice of Joseph Smith, which is the voice of God. I guess we can skip a good few years. John Ferrier recovered from his ordeal well enough, distinguished himself as a guide, 
Hunter. Lucy? Well, I'll come to Lucy in a minute or so. When they finally stopped their wanderings, Ferrier was granted as good a stretch of land as any of the men, save Young, of course, and excepting the four elders, Kemble, Johnson, Stangerson, and Drebber. His name was known, respected, but for all the respect, there was one thing about John Ferrier that offended the rest of the Mormons. I will not do it, Lucy. I've gone along with all the rest, but that... Now don't distress yourself, Father. They cannot compel you. Oh, you're right, child. Let them say what they will. What are they saying? They say I'm not a true follower of the faith. Or that I care only for money. And the real reason I refuse to take any wives is because I begrudge the expense. The friendlier ones say I hold myself single in memory of a long-lost love who pined away on the shores of the Atlantic. Oh, how romantic. Oh, sweet child. <laughs> oh, the fair Lucy was no longer a child. I was a prospector in those days. Come to the city to raise capital to work some loads I discovered. That day I met Lucy. I don't know, gentlemen. It was as if a whole new stretch of land had been opened up in front of my eyes that I never knew existed. And I was a strong-willed young man. Whatever I undertook, I was accustomed to success. Lucy! Oh, Jefferson! Lucy, listen. I have to go away. Go away? Well, for a month. Two at the most. T two months? No, you can. I'll die. <laughs> You'll not die. But... But two months at the most... And then I'll come back. I'll ask you to be mine. Oh, Jefferson. Your, your father has given me his consent. Well, of course. If you and father have arranged it all between you, there's no more to be said. So you will? <laughs> so, look, the longer I stay, the harder it'll be to go. Goodbye. Bye, Lucy. In two months, you'll see me. Goodbye, my love. Less than two months. Oh, Jefferson. Oh, if I'd known, if I'd had the smallest suspicion, do you think I would have ridden away like that? Do you? Do you? <laughs> Easy. Here, drink this. Here. Slowly. You know, I, uh, I think we should postpone this. No. No, I must continue. Doctor, what's your opinion? I think we should carry on. But before we do... Uh, what, what are you giving him? I must have the name of that powder, Dr. Watson. It's only a mild painkiller. Drink it down in one. Good. Thank you, Doctor. All right. You have to understand that to hold any kind of unorthodox opinion was a dangerous matter among the Mormons. To fall foul of the elders was a terrible thing. Close the door, if you please. Yes, Brother Young. My daughter has gone to the city, but I could prepare some refreshments. It is of your daughter that I wish to speak. Lucy. There are stories of her which I would fain disbelieve. Stories that she is sealed to some Gentile. What is the 13th rule in the code of the sainted Joseph Smith? You claim to be a loyal member of the church. Wise in its teachings, what is the thirteenth rule? Let every maiden of the true faith 
marry one of the elect. For if she marry a Gentile, she commits a grievous sin. Your daughter has found favour in the eyes of many who are high in the land. Stangerson has a son. Drebber has a son. They are young and rich and of the true faith. Let her choose between them. You must give us time. Lucy is scarce of an age to marry. We give you time. We give you one month. A month? At the end of thirty days, she shall make her choice. And if she will not, then I will do so for her. Good day to you, brother. A month? I had been gone scarce three weeks. I discovered later that Ferrier sent a message after me. The next day. It was that same day that he arrived home to find two young men in possession of his sitting room. I guess you don't know us, brother. This here is Enoch, the son of Elder Drebber. Greetings, brother. And I'm Joseph Stangerson. I traveled with you when I was just a lad, when the Lord stretched out his hand and gathered you into the true fold. As he will all the nations in his own good time. He grindeth slowly, but exceeding small. Amen, Brother Drebber. I'd guessed who you were. Then you must surely know why we're here. Oh, I know your purpose right enough. As I have only four wives, and Brother Drebber here has seven, it appears to me that my claim is the stronger. The question is not how many we have, but how many we can keep. I'm the richer man. Uh, but my prospects are better. I'm your elder and higher in the church. Hmm. What say you, Brother Ferrier? I say this. I don't want to see either of your faces again. Are you aware what an honor it is to marry the son of an elder? I'm aware that there are two ways out of this room. There's the door and there's the window. Which do you care to use? You have defied the prophet and the holy four. You'll regret this to the end of your days. I knew nothing at all of this. The power of the Holy Four stretched wider and deeper than John Ferrier could ever suspect. His message never reached me. Good morning, Father. I was wondering if I might... What in the world is the matter? Nothing, child. Wait for me in the sitting room. What is that paper? What does it say? Show it to me, Father. Here. I found it pinned to the bedclothes. It was there when I woke. Twenty-nine days. Oh, my God. Next morning, they found the number 28 scrawled with a burnt stick in the very center of their ceiling. That night, Ferrier sat up with his gun. He saw nothing, heard nothing. Yet in the morning, a great 27 had been painted on the outside of their front door. And so it went on. 20 changed to 15, 15 to 10, 10 to 5. And still they waited in vain. For me. In fact, I was on my way back to them. My business over and done with. And not a care in my heart. Get off your horse. He sure doesn't look much, does he, brother? 
Look, if you're planning to... Oh! <laughs> That's enough, Drebber. Drebber? I'll remember that name. If you're planning to rob me, get on with it. Oh, we're planning to rob you, all right. Leastways, one of us is. But not yet. In four days' time. <laughs> what do you mean? Four days? Jefferson Hope. You know me. What is this? Keep your filthy, heathen hands off the farrier girl. Lucy! Yeah. She's meant for better than you, Hope. Me, for instance. Or, or my friend here. Pretty soon that trim little body's gonna be cuddling up to one of us. You bastards! You will show respect to us. I am Joseph Stangerson, first son of Elder Stangerson. When you speak to me, you speak to the prophet himself. Stangerson? Drebber and Stangerson. That for your prophet! And I hoped you were going to be reasonable. Teach him how to be reasonable, Brother Drebber. Oh, my pleasure, Brother Stangerson. Oh! <laughs> oh! They left me for dead. By the time they'd finished with me, I wasn't far off it. But the thought of one of them, with my Lucy. Who's there? I warn you, I'm armed. Quiet! For the love of heaven! Good God, you nearly have my gun in your face! For pity's sake, get me inside! They're all around the house! The devil they are! Here, take my arm! Give me something to drink. Oh my God. Oh. Yeah. Uh. Oh God, it's good. Oh. John, is Lucy all right? Jefferson. Oh. Oh. Who did this to you? Drebber, Stingerson. I've got to get both of you away. Tonight. I can be dressed in a moment. What should we take? Food. And as much water as we can manage. I'll see you there. Hurry, buddy. John? What is it, son? This house, the farm. Everything you worked for. What's that to me? Give me a hand with the food. The watchers were concentrating on the front and the rear of the house. We climbed out the side window while the moon was hidden by the clouds. And we made it safely to the edge of the cornfield. Oh, thank God. We've done it. They're everywhere. Not a sound. Nine to seven. Seven to five. What news? If the girl remains stubborn, we strike tomorrow at midnight. The prophet's orders. <laughs> then there'll be some fun. <laughs> right, brother, I'll tell the others. Oh, is it safe to move on? We must. Everything depends on speed. I had three horses waiting. All night we kept moving, all next day. Most the next. But then our food was gone. I wasn't worried, though. There was game of plenty in the mountains. 
You were high up above sea level. And the air is bitter. Let me go. No. No, you rest while you can. I'll not be long. Be back before full dark. Depend on it. We'll have a quick meal and move on. This time tomorrow, we'll be in Carson City. And safe. I had to tramp a couple of miles or more before I had any luck with my rifle. The last of the light was dying by the time I got back. Hello? Lucy? John? We'll feast tonight! Oh, sweet Jesus. Lucy? Lucy! I found John Ferrier at the edge of the clearing. He'd been beaten like an animal and shot. Lucy wasn't there. Were you able to build up any picture of what happened? Not until the next morning. I saw the tracks. A lot of men on horseback. They'd come up behind us along the path and they'd turned back towards Salt Lake City. They'd taken our horses I set off after them. How long did it take you? Six days. By the time I reached the city, I must have looked a wild sight. I stayed in the shadows. The streets were hung with flags. They were celebrating the marriage of an elder son. All I heard was talk about the great rivalry between these two fine young men. On the very day I got there, the prophet had given my Lucy to Enoch Drebber. What did you do? I went back into the mountains. I suppose I must have lost my senses for a time. When I came to myself, I returned to the city. I knew what I'd find there. I knew she was dead. Dead of grief and shame. Some of Drebber's other wives were keeping vigil over her body. I took his ring from her finger. I'd not have her buried in Drebber's ring. And I vowed I'd not rest till I'd made them pay for what they'd done to my love. The rest is easily told. There was a great split among the chosen people. Many gave up to faith. Drebber, Stangerson among them. John Ferrier's fortune had made Drebber a rich man. But for some reason, he and Stangerson stuck to each other's company and set off to travel together. They were rich and I was poor. But I dug them. I followed them across two continents. Sometimes I nearly caught up with them. And at times I lost the trail for long stretches. But always, I kept going. Always. Just how long has this business been going on? <laughs> Twenty years. Twenty years. And eventually I tracked them here in London. Where you obtained employment as a cab driver? Wherever they went, I was always at their heels. At first, I planned to surprise them. I reckon they thought I was dead years before. But they somehow got wind of me. They were cunning. Never went out alone, hardly ever after nightfall. And I thought it was all up. I knew I had no chance against the two of them together if they were on guard. But they got careless. Drebber had taken to drink. It wasn't only to drink. 
In the end, it was a woman that did for him. I liked that. It was fitting. I'd sat in my cab and watched when the two of them were thrown out of that boarding house. I knew why. And I sat and watched again when Drebber went back after that pretty face and her brother lashed into him in the street. And I tell you, I enjoyed that. I waited till the boy had finished with him. And I drove up to where Drebber was lying in the gutter. Charpentier's cab. I didn't believe him. Now, Drebber didn't recognize me. He was practically out on his feet from drink and the thrashing he'd had. And he asked me to take him to his hotel. But you didn't. You took him to an empty house in the Brixton Road. I'd found it weeks before. I knew I could get inside easy enough when the time came. And I had him on his own. At last. This is my hotel. Cabby, it's damn dark here. Now, he knocked Drebber. Huh? Who am I? What? What do you mean? Who, who are you? I, I don't know you. I, I've never seen... Ah. Ah. <laughs> I'd always known that vengeance would be sweet, gentlemen. But I'd never hoped for the contentment of soul that I felt at that moment. It was like madness. <laughs> the pulses in my temples beat like sledgehammers. And I believe I'd have had some sort of fit if the blood hadn't gushed from my nose. And believe me. Keep away from me, Hope. You're insane. Look at this ring, Drebber. This is the ring that killed Lucy Ferrier when you forced it on her finger and dragged her off to your shameless harem. No, no. Now look at it. It'll be the last thing you ever do look at. Would you murder me? I'm no murderer. We'll let the high God judge between us. There are two pills in this box. Choose and eat. No, no. There's death in one and life in the other. No. I'll take what you leave. No. Choose! No. Choose! Let's see if there's justice on the earth or if we're ruled by chance. Now choose! By God, I will murder you where you stand! Very well. It's done. Now this one's for me. <laughs> I've beaten you, Jefferson Hope. Justice on Earth. <laughs> I'll watch you die like the stinking rat you are. <laughs> That's how any Drebber came to his end. Blood was still streaming from my nose, but I felt light-hearted, mischievous. I wrote up rock on the wall and lit a cigar, and I looked at him for a spell. And then I got out. When did you discover that you'd lost the ring? That ring was all I had of my Lucy. I had to have it back. I hadn't gone far. I left the cab on a side street. I walked up to the house, straight into one of your constables. 
PC John Rance. I fear he will not rise in the force. You pretended to be drunk. He paid me no heed. All I could think of was that I'd lost Lucy's ring. And I saw your advertisement. Evening paper. Ah, yes. Who was your accomplice who visited Baker Street? Accomplice? What's this, Mr. Holmes? Why haven't you mentioned this before? The zeal of the official force, eh, Watson? <laughs> this is not relevant to your inquiries, Gregson. I'll wager the man had nothing to do with the killings. Nothing? Nothing, I swear it. Now, Mr. Holmes, I can tell you my secrets, but I don't get other people into trouble. But I think you'll own he did it smartly. Not a doubt of that. Let's get back to the matter in hand here. Joseph Stangerson wasn't poisoned... He was stabbed to the heart. He begged me for his life. Cried like a woman. Told me I had no quarrel with him. He hadn't touched the girl. And they killed her father. He wouldn't take his chance with the pills. He went for my throat. It was self-defense. The outcome would have been the same in any case. The Providence would never have allowed his guilty hand to pick out anything but the poison. And that's the whole of my story. You may consider me to be a murderer, but I say I'm just as much an officer of justice as you are. Someone had said to me two weeks ago that I was going to find myself caught up in a murder investigation. What an extraordinary affair. Thank you, Doctor. <coughs> it's even more extraordinary than you know. Huh? Look at this. It's from Gregson. Arrived just before dinner. Good Lord. That's incredible. He must have died while we were actually on the way back here. He hung on to life until his story was told. Power of the mind. Amazing. Huh? Making his statement was as important to him as exacting his revenge. You really think so? Oh, yes, yes. What other reason could he have had for giving himself up? What did you say? Oh, Watson, think. Wiggins led Hope to the very same rooms where, not 12 hours before, his accomplice had been given a patently false wedding ring. He must have known it was a trap. But he fought like a cornered tiger. Oh, what a, a picturesque vocabulary you do possess. <laughs> well, perhaps it was bravado. Perhaps his nerve failed him at the last. Uh, I, I, I don't know. But do you recall what he said? Mm -hmm. Almost as soon as we reached the yard. Uh, yes, mm. yes. Wait a moment. Ah, uh, uh, here. Mm. I knew I'd made a note of it. I don't care how soon I go, but I should like to leave an account of this affair behind me. I don't want to be remembered as a common cutthroat. I don't want to be remembered as a common cutthroat. Mm. He came here knowing he would almost certainly be arrested because he desperately wanted his story on record. All that. 
20 years. For a woman. Holmes? Gregson and Lestrade will be furious at his death. <laughs> Where will their grand advertisement be now? Huh? <laughs> I wouldn't have missed this business for anything. <laughs> what was it you called it? A study in scarlet. Yes, I must have been in one of my more lurid moods. <laughs> oh, I'm enormously grateful to you for allowing me to be in on it. Well, I only hope it hasn't placed too great a strain on your health. By no means. I feel better this evening than I have for months. Well, I'm delighted to hear it. A helping of the bazaar is always invigorating, I think. <laughs> I meant what I said, you know. You really have made an exact science out of detective work. Compared to you, Gregson and Lestrade are like blind men. Mm. Your merit should be publicly recognised. You ought to publish an account of the whole affair. Uh, if you won't, I'll do it for you. Huh? I had no idea you went in for writing. You know, I thought your literary activities were confined to compiling lists of my shortcomings. Please, let's not go through that again. I, I didn't know you then. And now you do. Come on. A study in Scarlet. Make a marvellous story. It has adventure, suspense, romance, everything. Well, what do you say? I say... Come in, Mrs. Hudson. The evening papers, gentlemen. <laughs> Special late edition. Oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, just throw them down somewhere. I hmm? shall do no such thing. There you are. Nice and tidy. <clears throat> Good evening, Mr. Holmes. <clears throat> Dr. Watson. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't tease her. She's a good woman. She's uh, a good woman. <laughs> I was once introduced to a woman universally praised for her charity work amongst the poor. She subsequently proved to have dispatched three wealthy husbands by methods I will not relate so soon after your consumption of Mrs. Hudson's baked apple dumplings. <laughs> I'm most grateful. <laughs> Look, what were you about to say? Holmes, what's wrong? Listen to this. The public have lost a sensational treat through the sudden death of the suspected murderer, Jefferson Hope. Mm, that news got out quickly. Uh, Gregson and Lestrade, I might have known they'd find a way to transmute their failure into success and their mediocrity into genius. <laughs> they couldn't wait to parade themselves before their adoring public and soak up its applause. Oh, now come It is an open secret that the credit for the capture of this vicious and dangerous criminal belongs entirely to the well-known Scotland Yard officials, Messrs Lestrade and Gregson. The man was apprehended. Well, yeah. Read it for yourself. The man was apprehended in the rooms of a certain Mr. Sherlock Holmes, hmm. who, under their instruction, has himself shown some small talent as an amateur detective. Under their instruction. Keep reading. Keep reading. With such teachers, Mr. Holmes may well hope in the fullness of time, to attain some degree of their skill and professional expertise. Didn't I tell you so before we started? This is outrageous. Mm. I'm going to bed. This whole report is a downright tissue of lies. I've a good mind to go straight round to Fleet Street and demand that they publish a retraction when they've heard my version of the facts. Watson. Yes? Why don't you put these newfound energies to more productive use? I beg your pardon? Write your book, Doctor. Write your book.
That was part two of A Study in Scarlet by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, dramatised in two parts by Bert Cools, with Clive Merrison as Sherlock Holmes and Michael Williams as Dr John Watson. Jefferson Hope was played by Shane Rimmer, Joseph Stangerson by Matt Zimmerman, Enoch Drebber by Ed Bishop, Inspector Lestrade by Donald G, and Inspector Gregson by John Moffat. Peter Carlyle played Brigham Young, Alice Arnold, Lucy, Christopher Good, John Ferrier, Alan Dean, Wiggins, Anna Cropper, Mrs. Hudson, Marcia King, Madame Charpentier, Jane Slavin, Alice, and John Bull, Stangerson Sr. Other parts were played by members of the cast. The violinist was Alexander Balanescu. A Study in Scarlet was directed by Ian Cottrell and produced by David Johnston. Mystery Radio presentation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app. Also, there's a Nostalgic Mystery Radio YouTube page for your perusal to subscribe to. You can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day or evening. And again, thank you for listening.